Hello and welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. Don't you... uh... Enjoy that song. I don't know if you've heard it before. If you don't know, it is not a Christian song. It's a secular song. But the words are, I'm coming home, I'm coming home. Tell the world I'm coming home. Let the rain wash away all the pain of yesterday. I know my kingdom awaits and they've forgiven all my mistakes. I'm coming home, I'm coming home. Tell the world I'm coming home. And then there's another little bit. I don't think we had it on there, but it says, I'm back where I belong. I've never felt so strong. I feel like there's nothing that I can't try. And if you're with me, put your hands high. So anyway, we're in a series called Coming Home because we want to talk about what it means to be sons and daughters who know that we have a home and we know we get to live from that place called home. And we are calling it a season, not a series, because a series stops or starts and stops, but a season is about cultivating something, nurturing something, seeing fruitfulness, growth, that's made manifest. And we believe that's going to happen in the next few weeks as we look at identity, as we look at what it means to live from inheritance, to live from that place called home. And so we're excited to kick it off here today. And uh, you might have been here when I last shared. I was speaking about focus. I was speaking about balance. I was speaking about rhythm. And we've been in a season where a lot of us might have felt our lives are a little bit out of balance and a sense of we've got to do something to make a change. And what this season that we're in is really looking at is that it's not so much about what you've got to do, but it's about who you're called to be. And so maybe you felt you've been in a place where you've been swimming upstream, and you just can't seem to get anywhere. You can't seem to get where you're wanting to go. And I believe it's because maybe we've been pushing in the wrong direction. As I say, we've been swimming upstream rather than saying, Lord, I want to just come to you. Father, I just want to rest in you, and I want to trust you to get me where I need to go. And there's no striving that's involved. And it doesn't mean there's no work there because there's a pursuing of the Father's heart and there's being an active in our rest, but it's finding a restfulness in our hearts and our spirits and our minds as we rest in the Father, Father heart of God. And so that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And uh, it's, it's an important question because it addresses something that we often all find ourselves asking. I get the opportunity to sit with uh, many people, a lot of them around my age, and people are struggling with this thing of, you know, who am I? What am I called to do? What am I going to be when I grow up? Maybe that's not my friends, maybe that's my six-year-old, but those questions uh, go about in our hearts, and maybe it is some of the 40-year-olds that are on my age bracket who are thinking that. And this this, uh, season, as we're saying, is going to address some of those things and speak into those because it's pivotal that we discover some of these truths, these kingdom truths, these family truths, these biblical truths, before we get so caught up with what are we called to do. And so this is what's going to happen here as it deals with heart attitudes and issues. So let's jump in to John 14, verse 15. We're going to put it on the screen. Then we'll jump to Romans 8 straight after that. Jesus speaking. He says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept it, him because it never sees, it never, sorry, it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be 
in you. And then it's, and that's, this next verse is the one we're really going to camp out in. Verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Let me read that again. I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. And that word orphan jumps off the page there because it's not one that we usually speak about. But Jesus didn't say it by mistake. Jesus said nothing by mistake. There's intentionality here. And he's speaking this word not just into the natural realm, but into our hearts and into our emotions and into our minds and into our attitudes and our behavior. And he's speaking this way because he's wanting to confront some um, thought patterns that might have crept in, some heart attitudes. He's wanting to confront those, to address those, and to reestablish us in a place of fruitfulness as sons and daughters of God. And so he addresses this concept of orphanhood. And then in Romans 8 verse 14, it says this, the mature children of God are those. And if you actually look in the Greek text, when it says those, it, it's not just saying it passively, but it's emphasizing it. It's saying it emphatically, are those and only those. So it re reads like this, the mature children of God are those and only those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty. Can we just pause there and be grateful? You did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into fear and never being good enough. That's not what you've received. Don't any, anyone lie to you and say, that's who you are. This is what you have received. You've received the spirit of not partial acceptance, not temporary acceptance. You've received the spirit of full acceptance. That's good news right there. Enfolding you into the family of God. That's not just getting you and maybe tucking you in or bringing you near. It's enfolding you, wrapping you up, drawing you in to the embrace of heaven, it says, into the folding into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned. It's saying you should never feel like an orphan. If you are a mature child of God, and we know they're children of God and mature children of God. We know that Paul differentiates between those who are on milk and those who are on solids. There's a difference there. But he's saying here the mature child of God is one who never feels like an orphan. We'll see a little bit further that maybe you'll be aware of that that orphan type thinking or behaving or processing taking hold of you, but you'll know how to address it and say no to it because it doesn't ring true with who you know you to, yourself to be in God. And you will never feel orphaned for as, and speaking about the Spirit, as He rises up within us, our spirits join Him in saying, join him in saying the words of tender affection. Beloved Father, beloved Father. And when you look at that, in some translations will say, Abba, Father. And we look in the original Aramaic, and that means papa, it means dad. It's this kind of term of intimacy and endearment. And many of us, many of us maybe don't know God like that or our heavenly father like that because we've had bad examples of earthly fathers. But there's something here that's saying when we receive the Spirit into our lives, the Holy Spirit, He transcends all of those disappointments, all of those maybe mishaps in relationships, all of that brokenness and hurt. He transcends that and He ministers this truth to us that we are able to say, there's something that comes from us from the deepest parts, beloved Father, Abba, Daddy. And then it goes on in verse 16 to say, for the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us. He's there to make him real to us. And, and this is the whisper I want you to hear for the rest of this message. doesn't matter what else you hear other than this. And he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. You are God's beloved son. You are God's beloved daughter. You are God's beloved children. You are beloved. 
He loves you, so be loved. And so I want to talk today about this concept of orphan, orphanhood. And I've got a title. I believe it's a strong title. I believe it's a, not only a title, but I believe it's a declaration. It's an assignment to speak this over us as a house today. And if we can put my title up, thank you. This is my title, Never an Orphan. Never an Orphan. Won't you say to someone near you, through your mask boldly, Never an Orphan. And even more so, won't you say it to yourself in a confrontative, provocative, declaratory way? Won't you say, never an orphan? We should get that. You can have that tune of I'm coming home just uh, boldly and strongly playing alongside to that statement. Because there is this orphan-heartedness that tends to creep up in the way that we believe, the way that we think, the way that we act, and the way that we reason. And the mature child of God, as we've seen in the scripture, it says this, we know our fullness of our identity. We know that we are not orphans. If there's that maturity in us, we can be aware of that. And I remember hearing a preacher from uh, years ago, he said that when he was a little boy, I think he was five or six years old, so my son Mitch's age, he said his father would get him and sit him down, look at him eye to eye and say, son, If I could stand all the five-year-old to six-year-old boys in the world all in a line in front of me, and I could pick any one of them, I'd pick you every time. And this little guy got a smile, and the dad would say to him, and if you could choose out of all the fathers, uh, who would you pick? And he would say, well, I don't know. I've got to wait and see who's who's in the line, you know. (laughs) Kids reason a little bit different to parents, I presume. But you know, if you're a parent, you live with this thing of comparison. You know, how am I doing in raising my kids? And you see how someone else is doing, and you, you want to go to them and say, Rich and Tons, won't you raise my kids from me? You're doing such a great job with Gemma and Chloe. Where's Chloe? She disappeared. She was here earlier, I thought. Um, but you might want to do that because you compare and you're saying, maybe they could do a better job. Maybe you've watched a movie and you see how a, a dad looks after his daughter like Liam Neeson in Taken, and you're thinking, you can be the dad to my daughter she's living overseas. Or maybe you've watched a mother and how she nurtures and cares and raises the kids. And I haven't watched that movie because I've been watching Taken, as I've mentioned. But maybe you're comparing with that. And we constantly compare ourselves and wondering if someone else could do a better job than what we're doing. But here's the thing. I know that as a parent, but I don't remember one moment as a child wondering if I could be a better child. Could have never been a better child, hey, mom? But you know, children, we don't think and reason like that. We, as parents we do, but as children, we're just enjoying life and what there is to, to experience and adventure in. But I want to bring us to this question today as we're talking about orphanhood and we're talking about sonship and daughtership, being a son or daughter of God. And I want to, I want to pose this question for you to ask this question. How am I doing as a son or a daughter? How am I doing as a son or a daughter? Now, if you believe that Jesus died, if you believe that he rose again, if you believe he is victorious over death and you've received him as his Lord and Savior, you are a son and a daughter of God. You are an heir of God. You are a child of God. That is who you are. And so the question is, how are we doing? And I want to make this clear. In no way I'm saying, how are you, uh, to ask yourself, how am I doing and following all the rules and trying to behave right and strive to be right and to keep all the laws so that God would love me. I'm saying the opposite of that. I'm saying because you've been accepted, because you are beloved, because you've been received, because you have been viewed with such grace and mercy, the question we should ask, how am I receiving my sonship? How am I receiving my daughterhood? 
Am I acting like a son or am I acting like an orphan? Am I behaving as one who has a heavenly father who loves me, who adores me, who's cheering me on, who has given me gifts, who is, who is my greatest champion? Or am I operating as an orphan who feels abandoned and rejected? How am I receiving my sonship at this time or my daughterhood? And we live in a fallen world and there's an enemy and it's a battleground. And I really believe that this is why Paul says, take captive every thought because he knows there are going to be times and moments where we're going to be afflicted by these thoughts and we're going to have to stand up as men and women of God and take ongoing responsibility for our sonship and for our daughterhood if we're going to live in our identity in a way that not only receives the Father heart of God, but expresses the Father heart of God and invites others to encounter him as such as well. And Jesus knew that we would be tempted and he knew that we'd have these times in our lives where we would slip into this way of thinking where we think, you know, I'm just not lovable enough. I'm not good enough. I haven't behaved well enough. And the mistakes I've made yesterday, they've defined me. And those challenges that I'm facing today, they've sidetracked me. And I'm going to mess up again. And I truly believe, how can he even look at me as a son? I love that song that we sing, failure doesn't define you, it's what the Father does. My failure doesn't define me. It's what the Father does. He defines me. And Jesus knew that, and that's why he's come to expose the lie, because he wants to uh, establish you in the truth of what it means that you will never be an orphan, never an orphan. And so John 14, verse 8, uh, John 14, verse 8, let me say it again. Jesus says, I'll not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Paul in Romans 8, as we've read, the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. That's an orphan heart. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance. That's full adoption, full sonship, enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned. And really, how you know when you've reached maturity is when you get to that place that you no longer operate with orphan-mindedness. You no longer operate with orphan-mindedness. Then you know that you've received maturity. And I'm not saying it's easy because we vacillate from day to day, from moment to moment. We find ourselves faced with these challenges. But here's what a mature son or daughter does. It's to stop those processes, stop those thoughts, stop those attitudes and those behaviors and those responses and those reactions in their tracks and say, no, I'm not going to process this that way because I'm not an orphan. I'm a son well, I'm a daughter. But what does it mean to be an orphan? Well, in the natural, we know it's a child that has lost their parents or maybe been abandoned by their parents. Maybe their parents have passed away and they've been left homeless. In the Greek, when we look at that word, it's the word, word orphanus, and it means comfortless. We can put it on the screen. Comfortless, those with no teacher, guard, or guardian. So an orphan is someone who has no home. It's somebody who is looking for a place to belong. See, orphans have a longing for belonging. And truly, we all have that ingrained in us. We all want to be accepted. So it's no different to all of us. But at the root of orphanhood is rejection. When you look at the root of it, it's the result of rejection. And you might feel rejected by a person. You might feel rejected by a place. You might be rejected by, feel rejected by a thing or an happening. And it causes you to process that situation in a certain way with the mindset of an orphan. And here's the thing, an orphan must perform to gain acceptance. Let me give you an example. 
If you think about in the natural, and maybe you've watched Annie and see this played out, but if you want to picture an orphanage, and I'll change it a little bit, and you can picture there's a little boy, his name's Billy, and little Billy's there, and the director of the orphanage comes to little Billy and says, little Billy, there's a family that are coming, and they want to meet you, and they want to have an interview with you, and they're coming at 10 o'clock. Now, you can just imagine what little Billy is feeling. I mean, what would you be thinking if you were little Billy? You'd be thinking of this, oh my gosh, are they going to like me? Are they going to love me? Are they going to accept me? I better go put on my best khaki pants and leather shoes and my button-up shirt and I better brush my hair. Because maybe if I look the part and if I act the part and if I measure up to the standard of what a little boy should be like, I behave like that, maybe they'll accept me. Maybe they'll love me like the father I never had. And they'll receive me into their home, maybe like the home I never had. You see, that can be what's marking our lives spiritually as well. We can be living in that place where it's all about performance to get acceptance. And it's this thing of orphan-heartedness that I want to deal with because you're never an orphan. If we can put up the next statement, thank you. It says this, spiritual orphans are always looking for security. They're always looking for affirmation, love, acceptance, value, purpose, significance, because they have never received them from their heavenly father. Now, you might be saying, George, but you know, the heavenly father's given that. And I want to say that's exactly my point. The difference between a spiritual orphan and a spiritual son or daughter is where a spiritual orphan is looking for those things and has never received them. A spiritual daughter or son has recognized they've been given that in God and receive what they've been given. It's the difference about looking for and receiving. You see, there's a difference between knowledge and truth. There's a difference between the two of them. difference between living in the knowledge of something and living in the, the truth of something, receiving it. And so this is the, the challenge that comes, is we don't want to just be, have the knowledge of God's love and all that he has offered us in himself. We want to live in the revelation and the experiential knowledge of the Father's ongoing love for us. And we can't figure it out in such a way, in terms of how we receive it and embrace it. We need to come to that place of having a revelation as we allow the Holy Spirit to work that truth, as we've read in the Scriptures a little bit earlier. And Jesus is saying this about that, I'll never leave you as an orphan, because he knows it's one of the greatest tools and one of the greatest strategies of the enemy to attack our lives. But when we become aware of that, we can say no. We can say, I'm not going to process like this, and I'm not going to function from that identity. I've been given a new identity. And so that's what this is bringing in. We can see it played out through numerous characters in the Bible. You, you might be saying, well, give me some examples. Well, let me say the first orphan that we see in Scripture is the devil. The devil was an orphan. You know, he was one of the, the main angels in heaven. He was leading the worship, but he came to a place where there was this orphan-hearted desire in himself to strive, to measure up, to bring himself into comparison and to go beyond God. And because of that desire in his heart, a third of the angels followed him and he was cast out of heaven. And he became the first orphan that we see. And here's the thing. He has spent the rest of his life trying to get you to feel the way that he feels. He wants you to feel like an orphan as well. He was once in the house of a loving father, but he chose to live in such a way that he is separate and as a result was cast out. Elijah was an orphan. 
We see he called down fire. He was honoring God and glorifying God. But suddenly Jezebel's voice comes to him and it was stronger than the affirmation of heaven. And Jezebel rejects him. And suddenly this orphan heartedness starts to emerge and he's running. He's running for a cave and he's crying out and saying, I'm the only one left. He's in the midst of self-pity and he says, I'd rather die. That's what that orphan heartedness did for him as his heart was exposed and that rejection and that feeling of I'm not accepted. Aaron, when you look at Moses and Aaron, Moses goes up to get the, the commandments and there's amazing things happening on the mountaintop. But down below, Aaron is with the people and Aaron is not caught up with what's happening and what God is doing, but he's caught up with the people around him because here's the thing, he was afraid of the people. He was afraid he would lose face. He wouldn't be accepted. And so he builds this golden calf, with, allows them to build the golden calf. And Moses says, what are you doing? And his response is, it's the people who wanted to do it. The people made me do it. You see, orphan heart will quickly blame. Quickly blame because he wanted to be accepted. Remember King Saul? The people started to compare him to David. And instead of being that type of leader who cheers others on to go beyond, there was comparison that came into his heart and it turned into murderous intent. And he wanted to have David, his own son-in-law, killed. That's what happens out of the orphan heart. You look at the disciples. They were arguing over who was going to be the greatest. Because in that orphan-heartedness, there was the sense of, I've got to make my own way. I've got to take what I can take. I've got to get what I can get. And they wanted to be accepted and affirmed and valued, and they wanted to have recognition. And so they began to argue, yeah, who's the greatest? See, Moses, when we look at him, he wasn't just a spiritual orphan, as we've spoken about some of the rest, but he was also a, phys a physical orphan, an actual orphan, because that moment had come where his mother had put him in the river as in a basket to save his life. It was for a good cause, but he didn't know the intentions of his mother. And so he would have felt rejected and alone. And maybe there's some parents here have had to do things where others don't realize it was for a good cause. Or maybe there's some sons and daughters here who feel rejected and alone because we don't know the intentions of what took place. Moses would have felt this way. And we're going to see just looking at his life, I want to take a quick moment where how often heartedness can sabotage us from all that God has for us. Because God comes to him in, at the burning bush and he says, Moses, I want you to do something that's amazing. It's going to be something that will bless people and glorify me. I want you to go back to Egypt and bring the Israelites out into promise. And Moses responds. There are five objections he makes that reveal the orphan heart. Objection number one, Exodus 3 verse 11. His first response is, who am I to do this? Who am I to do this? Because there's insecurity with that orphan-heartedness. The sense of, I'm not worthy. And God is saying, I've called you to do it. And if I've called you, I'm going to grace you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to take you all the way through. But his orphan heart couldn't grasp that. And so he argues, who am I to do this? The second objection we see in Exodus 31 verse 13. And it's, it's this. Who am I representing? Lord, you're telling me to go, but when people question me, you know, I've got to have a defense mechanism. Who am I representing? And here's the thing. Moses was more concerned with their response to him than he was with their response to God. Because when you've got that orphan heartedness, you reason from yourself. Objection number three, Exodus 4 verse 1. What if they won't accept me? See, he was worried about rejection, as we've spoken about before. What if they don't like me? Listen to this. The orphan heart will make you obsess over pleasing people. 
The orphan heart will make you obsess over pleasing people and you'll make decisions about your life and how you raise your kids and where you live and what you do and what cars you buy and what you have and they'll all be based upon a manifestation of an orphan heartedness. We sang about blessing of generations and generations and generations and generations favor upon us. That is what we receive as sons and daughters. But as orphan-hearted people, we make decisions based on that mindset. You see, in fact, if you look at it, orphans are always looking out for themselves because they're just not sure if anyone else is ever going to look out for them. Sons and daughters, on the other hand, they know they have a beloved father. They know that he's looking out for them. They know that he's making a way for them. They know that he's waiting to ambush them and surprise them with his goodness at every turn and every opportunity. There's something of an expectancy that they're going to encounter goodness in the father's heart because they know they have a a good father. That's what happens with sons and daughters. Objection number four, Exodus 4 verse 10. Moses says, I'm not competent. I stutter. I'm incapable. I'm not eloquent enough. I can't do it. And so he goes back onto self-reliance. Me, I can't do this thing. You see, son says this, you know what? I'm not that good, but God, you are so good. And if you are going to be with me, let's go and give this thing a go. Often say, I can't do it. I can't perform. I don't have the degree. I don't have the mental capacity. I haven't had the right experiences in life. I don't have the right connections to open the door. I didn't grow up on the right side of the tracks. Sons and daughters say, you know what, that sounds like a big ask, God. But you know what, Dad, you and me together, let's give it a go. My son, whenever I give him a challenge, unfortunately, it's more like you can lift more weights or sprint faster, and, and Luca's getting beyond me and all of those things. But he would say, what's his word? Let's go. You know, young 16-year-old man, let's go. Well, he is going right now. He's on a camper in Ledla, tenting in the midst of the rain on a farm and who knows where, so he's giving it a good go. But there's that attitude of let's give this thing a go. Objection number five. Moses gets tired of arguing. Exodus 4 verse 13. And he says, just send someone else. Please, if you actually look at the words, please send someone else. Because there's this common thread and this exposing of this common thread in Moses, but also of the orphan heart And it always comes back to me. But what if I can't? What if they reject me? What if I'm not capable? What if I'm not able? What are they going to say about me? And the orphan heart continually goes back to being concerned about my own wild being. Because if I don't take care of myself, who else will? See, that's how orphans think. But sons and daughters say, God is my father. He's my protector. He's my provider. He's my defender. He is the one who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, not because I'm that good, as I've said, but because he's that good, because he is a good father. He is worthy. He is capable. He is willing. He is able. His will is perfect and pleasing, and he is a hope for me, and he is a future, and I believe that his promises are true. The son lives out of that place, and we're all going to have those moments where those challenges come, and We're either going to be able to respond out of an orphan-hearted way of thinking and mindset, or we're going to be able to respond as mature sons and daughters. And so we need to deal with that mentality. But here's the thing. You might be thinking, but George, you keep referring to this orphan heart. But I've always heard it spoken about as an orphan spirit. And you can call it whichever you want. The only reason I'm saying an orphan heart, because I'm saying is living as 
um, sons and daughters. And sometimes when we call something a spirit, it's out there, it's external, it's something that's being done to me, and if you just lay your hands on me, it'll go away. But what I'm wanting to speak to us today is how as sons and daughters, we take responsibility for our emotional, mental, physical, spiritual uh, identity and how it's being established in God. So I'm not wanting to talk about an out there thing, I'm wanting to challenge you inwardly to listen to the whisper of the Holy Spirit's voice that says that you are a beloved child and a beloved son. Because here's the thing, an orphan spirit cannot be cast out. Some people are thinking, George, are you sure about that? Because I did this course. An orphan spirit cannot be cast out. It can only be replaced. An orphan spirit cannot be cast out. It can only be replaced. It's when you come to this thing and say, Holy Spirit, I recognize that you are replacing that orphan heart that I had with the love of a loving father. And you see, that's what moves you from just knowing about something to an experiencing the truth and the reality of it. And you know, there's a, separate, a separation between knowledge and truth. Let me, let me explain what it is. Truth is your ability to involve it in your life, to be impacted and to have its influence working through your life. Knowledge, you just know about it, but truth is your ability to have, to involve truth in your life, to have it impact you and to have it influence you in such a way that it has an influence through you. That's what truth does when it's received. And so we have to allow it to transform us the way we think and we behave. And some of us might be in the place where we think, but George, you know, I just have problems. I don't have this orphan spirit or orphan heartedness, what you're saying, you know. I've just got this joy problem. I want to say if you have a joy problem, it's probably because you have an identity problem. If you've got a joy problem, it's probably because you have an identity problem. We'll see that as I read another scripture. And maybe you're saying, but you know what, I've got this marriage problem. That, that's what I'm really struggling with at the moment. If you have a marriage problem, it's probably because you've got an identity problem and because you're handling your marriage like an orphan. If you think you've got a career problem and you think, you know, I just don't have the degree and I can't get next to the boss, but if I could, I'd get favor and the doors would open and everything would go well with me. I, I just want to say to you, I want to say it's not, the, this is the problem, it's an identity problem. Because it's not your boss, it's not your job, it's not your industry. None of those things can give you promotion. Only God can promote you. And we've got to get to that place where we just start resting and finding restfulness and a loving Father and living out from that place. That's when we go downstream because we're carried by His grace and He leads us and He guides us and we find buoyancy in Him because you are never an orphan. That's what Jesus says. You are never an orphan. You are called a son and a daughter. And on your worst day, He loves you as much as He does on your best day. That's heaven's promise over us. Romans 8 verse 16. This is critical for you to receive this love. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us. So here's the, the problem. His fatherhood's always there. It's just not always real to us. So you've got to allow the Holy Spirit to come and make his fatherhood real to you. And then it goes on to say, and here's the beauty, and this is the whisper I want to be breathed over you and in you. As he whispers, the Holy Spirit, as he whispers into your innermost being, you are God's beloved child. Now, I want to make a confession on behalf of leaders and churches, as we have often been the perpetrators of the most orphan-heartedness creeping into the church. And I don't necessarily mean us individually or as harvest, but I'm talking about widely. And it's because of this, we have focused on the wrong ship 
for those of you who gave me a double look there, SHRP. We have focused on the wrong ship. Here's the reason I say that. Because the, re the church is really good at focusing on leadership. Really good at focusing on stewardship. Really good at focusing on fellowship. Really good at looking at the importance of relationship. But all of those are shipwrecked if our primary focus isn't sonship. And by sonship, I mean daughterhood as well. Sonship is the most important ship. Without sonship, there's no leadership, there's no stewardship, there's no relationship, there's no true fellowship, there's none of those things if sonship isn't first. You can look for every other role, but primarily and firstly, you've got to discover what it means to live in your identity as a son and daughter of a loving heavenly father. Galatians 4, 1 to 7. I'm going to finish with the scripture. Let me illustrate. Here's a beautiful illustration. Let me illustrate. As long as an heir is a minor, he is not really much different than a servant. Because remember, we're talking about mature sons. Although he is master over all of them. For until the time appointed by the father, the child is under the domestic supervision of the guardians of the estate. So it is with us. When we were juveniles, we were enslaved under the hostile spirits of the world. But when the time of fulfillment had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, and see this. Yet all of this was so that, say so that with me. We'll see three of them. All of this was so that he would redeem and set free those held hostage to the law, so that we would receive our freedom and full legal adoption as his children, verse 6, so that we would know that we are his true children. For that reason, God released the spirit of sonship. The enemy comes to release and to try and impart a spirit of orphan-heartedness. God never does that. He comes to release the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately. I love that. We don't cry out in fear. We don't cry out in surprise. We don't cry out in exasperation, but we cry out intimately. Your level of intimacy with your father or your mother determines how you refer to them. Some of you call him pops or papa or dada or whatever it might be, and it's determined by your level of intimacy. And it says here, we are, uh, the Spirit moves in our hearts and causes us to cry out intimately, my father, my true father, Abba. Daddy, Papa, verse 7. Now we are no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy. There's an enjoyment in our identity of being a son or a daughter. There's an enjoyment of this relationship with our dad. We enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters. And because of this, we can access everything our Father has done, for we are heirs because of what God has done. Isn't that a beautiful declaration over us? And some of us aren't finding balance in our lives. It's because we're trying to see what we can do rather than who we're called to be. You see, this is how an orphan thinks. If we can put up the next slide. Orphan, an orphan mindset is this. It's an earthly mindset. It's, it, it's, this is the rhythm. We've spoken about rhythm. We've spoken about balance. This is how it goes. I must do something in order to have something in order to be something. I've got to do to have to be. And so there's this rhythm and cycle to an orphan heart. And here's the challenge. I can't be unless I have, because I'm defined by what I have, and I can't have unless I do. And it's just this vicious cycle that keeps repeating. But this is how a son and daughter thinks, if we can go to the next one. Sons and daughters have a kingdom mindset. They think, I already am, therefore I already have, therefore I can do. I already am, therefore I already have, 
therefore I can do. Somebody wants ice cream. I think it's an ice cream truck. You, you, you can do that as a, a son. I want some ice cream. But here's a beautiful understanding of this scripture as you look deeper. We have heard Paul say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And it can seem a little bit, you know, like a, a bravado. I can do this. But you've got to realize he's speaking from the identity of the son who's saying, I already am in Christ and I already have access to all that Christ has given me so I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It changes the whole approach to that verse. And in our reasoning and in our thinking and in our processing in the weeks ahead, we've got to be thinking from that place, I'm already a son. I have everything I need to live in the fullness of my sonship extravagantly and graciously. I get to operate and to be a son wherever I might go. And so we start to think about this in terms of how am I being a son in my friendships, in my marriage, in my workplace, as an employer, as an employee, as a spouse, as a pastor, as a leader, how am I being a son in such a way that I express the Father's heart and invite others into that relationship? You see, Jesus says, I will never leave you as an orphan. And I want to finish with this. You're never an orphan. Why can he say that with such authority? It's because of this. There was a time when he went to the cross and he hung there and he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabatini. I can't pronounce that 100%, but it means this. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And that word is the same word as you'd look at abandoned, as an orphan would feel. And it would seem like just for a moment he felt separation from the Father and what it would feel to be an orphan because of the weight of our sin and the world upon him. And because he felt that for a moment, you never ever have to feel like an orphan ever again. That's why he has the authority to say, I'll never leave you as an orphan because I've come so that you'll be free. Never an orphan. Verse 16, this is the whisper that I want to roar in your hearts and over you. That the Holy Spirit would make God's fatherhood so real to you as he whispers into your innermost being, you are God's beloved child. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask if we can just put that song up once I finish. But Father, I just thank you that you come as such a lovingly heavenly father, as Papa, as Abba, and I pray that you just minister this truth to us through your spirit and Holy Spirit that you would just uproot and, and displace any sense of orphan-heartedness and we just replace that with the love of a heavenly father and knowing that we can step into our full identity as beloved sons and daughters. And I thank you, Jesus, that you have made the way, that you have been a son perfectly so that we could perfectly enjoy what being a son means. And I pray that we would know that we can live in that place of that we already are that, we already have that, so we get to go and do sonship in a way that glorifies you. I declare that and pray that over us in Jesus' mighty name. And as Rich say, said, we all together say amen. So be it. <laughs>